The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. The power of the cross. When we say the power of the cross, what exactly are we talking about? We certainly know that the cross is a recognized symbol. And for some of you, actually, I expect you've got some jewelry on. You may well have a cross around your neck. Uh, there's all sorts of things, maybe a, a bracelet. You've got a cross on the bracelet. It's a very recognizable symbol. Some people even have a cross tattooed on their body, not necessarily whether they are attending church, but because they want to identify the fact that the cross is a symbol of the Christian faith, an international symbol. In fact, if you're an advertising man, you'd think this was actually the best thing because everybody understands that the cross is a symbol for Christianity. But it's a recognized symbol, but it's not only a recognized symbol, and its power is not found in the fact that it's just a recognized symbol. It also affects our language. You've probably heard of the phrase, the crux of the matter. I don't know whether you know, but the word crux actually is Latin for cross. And a crux of the matter means that something is at the very heart of the matter, something that is central or a critical point. And we believe as Christians that the cross is indeed a critical point of our faith. It's central to our faith. So the phrase, the crux of the matter, is actually bringing the cross into our language, the center of our language almost, you could say. And yet that is not really what the power of the cross is. We also understand that the cross is this symbol of torture. It's a Roman form of torture, and we know that. That was used by the Romans. The Romans actually put Jesus to death on the cross. But the power of the cross is not in that place of death alone. So we know that the cross is central. We know that it's a recognized symbol. We know that it's a recognized place of death. But what do we mean by the power of the cross? The word power comes from the Latin word potore, which means to be able, to be able. So power is talking about the ability to accomplish something, the ability to do something, the capability of doing something. The power of the cross is this, is its ability to deal with sin. That is what the power of the cross is. The cross is the place where sin is completely and utterly dealt with once and for all time. That is the power of the cross. And Paul describes the victory of the cross in Colossians 2. Let me read it to you. Colossians 2, 13 and 15. It should appear on the screen. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And again, Paul describes the authority Jesus has after he died on the cross and rose again. And this is in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 22. Paul says, I also pray that you will understand 
the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has placed all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The power of the cross is its ability to completely forgive sin. But not just that. The cross also displays the power it gives, that supreme authority that comes from the cross over every other power, every other name that can be named. So when we are talking about the power of the cross, we are talking about everything that Jesus has accomplished when he went to the cross, when he died, and when he rose again. That is the power of the cross. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some subjects like this, the evil of sin, the work of the cross, the need of obedience. And hopefully as we do that, our understanding can increase so that we will understand more and more what the power of the cross is and how that power can live in us and can affect our lives from day to day. Today I just want to look at two quick points, looking at the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is shown in the fact that it transforms. The cross transforms. And the two headings I'm going to look at today are this, a practical understanding and a personal understanding. A practical understanding and a personal understanding. First of all, a practical understanding of how the cross transforms. And I want to take us back to actually Jerusalem. I only want to take us back to the day of Jesus' death. So Jesus is actually on the cross and he is dying on the cross. And we join the story with Matthew 27, verses 46 and then 50 to 51. We read this. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the, uh, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, you may just read that in Scripture, and you think, well, okay, so this veil, this curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two. But I want to look a little bit more at that. So going from where Jesus is on the cross, we're just going to go across Jerusalem to the temple in Jerusalem. This was the second temple as the first temple was destroyed, the one that was built by Solomon was destroyed by the Babylonians. And now this second temple had been rebuilt when the exiles came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. They rebuilt this temple. In actual fact, it had recently, or fairly recently, had a big makeover under the authority of Herod. And so the temple was there. And in the temple itself, there were courtyards outside, but in the temple itself, there were two places. There was the inner place, which was called the holy place. And then there was the inner, inner place, which was called the holy of holies. This, in the first temple, was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God lived, if you like. That's where God's home was among his people. In the temple, God was, and therefore when people went to the temple, they were meeting where God was. 
the thing that separated the holy of holies, this place where God was supposed to live, and the holy place was a curtain. And the idea was that the curtain was there because actually not anybody could just go in, into the presence of God. You had to go only on a special, uh, only a special person. The high priest himself is the only one who could go there. In actual fact, the high priest could only go behind that curtain once a year to make atonement for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. Yes, they could go into the holy place, and they did that on a daily basis, but they could only see the curtain, this veil that separated God from the people. And so the idea with this veil was there was a constant reminder that God is always separate from his people. He is always just the other side of the curtain. You can't quite get to God because he is so holy and humanity is so sinful. And so there's a separation. But what we see as Jesus is dying on the cross, and this curtain, by the way, isn't just sort of like a, a six-foot square. The height of the temple was something like 60 foot. So you had this massive curtain, 60 foot high, thick, that's hid this place of God. Now go back to where Jesus is. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is dying. And as he declares his life, as his life is given up, as he dies on the cross and his work on the cross is accomplished, so at that point, in the temple, a distance away, this curtain is ripped from the top to the bottom. It's a dramatic illustration of the transformation of the power of the cross. From the point of view of this, on the cross, sin is dealt with, and at that moment, the point of separation from mankind to God is ripped apart. There is a way that is made open. I can imagine at that time for the, the, the high priests and all of the religious leaders, they must have been utterly distraught to think that the temple had suddenly got its veil ripped. What are we going to do? Are we going to knit a new one? Are we going to get it repaired? What are we going to do? Because for them, they had to be in place. But you see, God was saying through the cross, transformation is being made. A way is being made open for ordinary men and women. Not special high priests, not people who studied the law, but ordinary people. The way is open for us to approach God. And the writer to the Hebrews particularly points this out. Hebrews 4 verse 16. He says, reflecting on these things, he says to the believers, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The power of the cross is that it transforms the way that we can come to God. There used to be lots of rigmarole. There used to be the need for the blood of animals to be shed. Sacrifices had to be made. All of that process had to be gone through. But now the way is being made open. And for every one of us here, God is saying this, you can come boldly. What do you think, like me? You know, like, hang on, I'm not even dressed for the occasion. Listen, it doesn't matter how you're dressed. What matters is the way has been made open for ordinary people to come into the presence of God. This is a way that God is describing the fact that I want you to be with me. I want to make a way where there seemed to be no way. The power of the cross is that it transforms the way that we can approach God. That is a practical understanding. Secondly, 
I just want to give a personal transformation. Not a personal transformation, in this case, in my own life, but a personal transformation looking at the life of Peter. Many of you will be familiar with Peter the Apostle. But when we first meet Peter in the Bible, we meet him as the fisherman. The man whose brother actually came to see Jesus first and whose brother encouraged him to come and see Jesus. He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman who was rather impetuous. He was always seeming to actually run ahead of himself, as it were. Put his foot in it is what some people might say. He was the disciple who saw Jesus walking on the water and he says to Jesus from the boat, Hey, call me to come to you. Now, the others must have just been looking and thinking like, wow, what on earth's going on? But Peter's impetuous. Hey, I want to have a go at doing that. And Jesus says to him, come. And so Peter is the one who gets out of the boat and also starts to walk on the water. But then he sees the wind around him and he's worrying about things. And as he does so, he starts to sink. And Jesus has to reach out and rescue him. But at least Peter was one who had actually experienced walking on the water. Peter was the one who'd been taken with Jesus onto what was called the Mount of Transfiguration. And there before him, Moses and Elijah appeared and they were speaking to Jesus. But it says of Peter, he was so like, well, what are we going to do? He was so fearful and so concerned about not knowing quite what to do that he suddenly says, well, let's build these special little, um, little sort of holes, little sort of cabinets for these people to stay in. He didn't really know what he was saying. Peter was that person. Peter is the man that we read about who says to Jesus, listen, I will follow you wherever, whatever. That's what I'll do. If others fail you, I will be with you. And yet Peter was the man, having said that, only a few hours later was the one who had denied Jesus, denied the fact that he had even known Jesus three times. That was Peter. So much energy, so much passion in this man, and yet everything seemed to be going wrong or nothing really seemed to come together. Yet after the cross, we see Peter being transformed. The day of Pentecost comes, and when that comes and the tongues of fire come upon the disciples, and there's all this commotion, Peter is the one who stands up and says to everybody, hey, you might be confused, you might be thinking these men are drunk, but just listen to me for a moment. And he then goes on to explain from Scripture what is happening. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he talks about what's happened to Jesus, and there comes a conviction on the crowd, and many Many people called out wanting to know how they could find salvation that day. Then later on, only a few days relatively later, when Peter and John are going up to the temple to actually have a time of prayer. I'm going to read it to you from Acts 3 verses 1 to 8. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping 
and praising God. Peter says, now, what I do have, what I do have, I give to you. There's been a transformation in his life. It's not like, oh, I think I've had an experience with Jesus, or something might have happened in my life, or listen, I've got a few stories to tell you about Jesus. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, what I do have, I give to you. There's been a transformation, not only in his understanding, but in his authority and in his power, because the power of the cross is working through his life. Just to read a bit more in the story. When uh, Acts 3, verses 12, 16, and 19, Peter has uh, seen that the, this whole scene of the man being healed has captivated the crowd. They, they're all in commotion. I mean, they're rejoicing with the fact of this man who's now been healed. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Repent then, he says, and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, the upshot of all of that, speaking and telling about Jesus, was that Peter and John were actually arrested and put in jail overnight. There was too much commotion. We don't know what's happening. Why should these people be being healed in the name of Jesus? Hey, let's lock these guys up overnight. And the following morning, Peter and John are brought out to face the music, as it were, to face the rulers and the religious leaders of Jerusalem. Acts 4, verses 7 to 10. Then they had Peter and John brought in and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today about a kind service to a man who was lame to determine how he was healed, then let this be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, the, uh, the, stone, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now the rulers and the elders debate the situation. What can we do? And then they call back Peter and John before them to give them their answer. They called them back in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, for we, can, cannot, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. An ordinary fisherman has now become so bold that he is preaching to the rulers and religious leaders, and they themselves acknowledge there's something about this guy we see that he's been with Jesus. They acknowledge the fact of the miracles that have been done and the life-changing things that have happened to this man outside the temple. Can you see the transforming power 
that the cross can have in the life of individuals. And now, at every opportunity, Peter is living and declaring the power of the cross. What I do have, he says, I give to you. And that is affecting his life. Acts goes on, if you were to read it, to talk about Peter and how he's not only done these things, but how he is healing the sick. Even people bring sick people so that just the shadow of Peter might go over them and they might be healed. Peter is casting out demons and bringing freedom to people. And he goes on to even raise the dead. There is power in the cross. And the cross and its power transformed this fisherman into a man who was a servant of God here upon the earth. The cross brought that transformation to Peter's life. What about you? Let me ask you this question here this morning. Has the cross brought transformation to your life? It's worth thinking about. Because we think, well, I don't know. What? How? Listen, there is power in the cross. There's power in the cross because God wants to use the cross to transform the way that we can approach God. He wants to make it open for us to come to Him. There's an example in Scripture of the life of a man who was just an ordinary fisherman, uneducated. He didn't really have much going for him, but God takes him, transforms him, and uses him for His purposes. Let me tell you this, there is power in the cross to transform, and God wants to transform your life through the power of the cross. The question is, will you allow him to do that? Do you know forgiveness of your sin? Do you know the power of the cross living in your life? This is something that is freely available to us all. The cross can never lose its power. It is, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event that has brought transformation and authority in the name of Jesus. And that power lives in everyone who has received Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, reach out to God to see more of the transforming power of the cross in your lives. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.